You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, today we are going to be jumping into one of the most famous parables in the Gospels. It's the parables, the parable of the sower is what it's sometimes called. I, I like to think of it as the parable of the soils. So Pastor Ross, as we think about this, as we prepare ourselves to uh, to study from Mark chapter 4, so those listening at home, you can open up, not if you're in the car, but you can open up to Mark chapter 4 and kind of get ready. We're going to read the text to you, the, the entire text during this episode. But before we jump into any of it, Ross, let's talk a little bit about what a parable was and why Jesus spoke in parables, because today we're going to look at the parable parable of the soils. Next week, we're going to look at three more parables that Mark includes in chapter four. And there's all, all of it is, has this theme involved that, uh, that really is about more about what parables were for than about actually telling the parables, because Mark doesn't include a ton of parables. The other gospels have more. Yeah, let's start with the first two verses of chapter 4 that set us up, and Mark wants us to understand what's going on there. He says, Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore, and a very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables. And then he goes on to tell the first parable. So this is interesting because we've seen this scene before in Mark where there's big crowds around Jesus, even along the side edges of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But what sets this one apart that's different from anything we've seen before is that Mark puts the focus on parables. So we really do want to understand what that is. And that's been defined in different ways. Some people say parables like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story with dual meanings in a sense. Jesus draws from an ordinary kind of common life experience that people would understand. And he uses that common life experience, as we're going to see in this um, particular parable, the experience of farming. So he uses a common ordinary experience that people would have seen many times, and he uses that to draw out from it a particular meaning about God's truth or about the kingdom of God. And so the parables, then it's like... Each parable has um, a key idea, a main point that is is put forth with with effect, with pointedly um, by the parable to, for Jesus to try to get people to understand, you know, a greater truth. Yeah. So as you're as you're reading parables to our listeners out there, as you're reading the parables of Jesus, someone explained it like this to me one time. This was really helpful for me. A parable, you're really usually looking for one main idea, one big idea. We, you, typically, you don't want to like press all the details of a parable. Parables typically weren't allegories, even though this first one is probably the closest to an allegory of any of Jesus' parables. But really, mm-hmm. there's typically one main idea you're looking for, and you're trying to get a, Jesus is trying to get across that main idea. And so someone once explained a parable, it's kind of like the punchline of a joke. That's what you're looking for. Uh, you know, a good joke has, is, you know, sets up the joke and then the punchline comes across and it, it's kind of like an aha moment. It, you, you, oh, it's like this, it catches you off guard and you laugh at it and that's a good joke. A parable is similar to that. It's not about being funny, but it's about 
it's about that aha moment. It's like, oh, I get it. I, I get I get what you're saying. Now, here's the thing. We've all told jokes before where some people get the joke and some people don't get the joke. And right. that's how parables work too. Th- this is what's so paradoxical about parables. You know, a lot of people think Jesus spoke in parables basic everyday stories so that people would understand. That's true, but it's also not true because there's the paradox is that some people wouldn't understand. Some people, even though he used parables, for some people it was still secret. What Jesus was trying to get across ended up being secret or hidden. So it kind of like a joke, the parables of Jesus landed for some people and they didn't land for other people. And that's really what this first parable is all about. It, it's all about when uh, the message of the kingdom of God lands for people and when it doesn't land for people. And that's what the four soils are about, as we're about to see, is Jesus says there are these four soils, and you need to understand that the message that's going out um, is one single message but it's going to land for some people and it's not going to land for other people. And this is where it really applies to our lives today. So Ross, even as we get into this parable today, I I would encourage people, here's what's going to happen. I know this is what, if you're anything like me, people listen to this and you're like, oh, so-and-so should hear this, or oh, that soil is so-and-so. It's my son or my dad or my whatever, my neighbor or my coworker. And look, that's a temptation for all of us, but, but I encourage you first and foremost, as we read this parable, that Mark includes about the four soils. First and foremost, I encourage you to think about yourself, right? As we hear about these four soils, which are, it's all about how you, how receptive you are. You think about a seed and soils. A soil has to be receptive for a seed. It's all about how receptive you are to get the punchline. And that's really what parables are about. And that's why Jesus, that's why I think, Ross, that Mark includes the parable of the four soils, because Again, he doesn't include a lot of the parables. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, but he includes this one because it's really a parable about parables. It's a parable about being receptive to the truth of the kingdom of God. Right. And I love your analogy of a joke because sometimes a a really good joke, a sophisticated joke, a person has to think about it to get it. You know, like the, the lowest form of humor, a pun, is like, boom, it's you get it. Or, but but sometimes a really good joke, you have to really think about it and kind of connect the dots, and that's what's happening with parables. And I love your point about, hey, it's easy to look at other people and say, oh, that person, you know, is this kind of soil, or that person is a different soil. Uh, but really, the point of it is really to, there is an encouragement for us to look at ourselves and to decide, you know, where do we stand in our receptiveness to Jesus? So that's a great point. So let's look at the parable. The way that the passage is set up is Jesus tells the parable. And then we see a little insider moment where he goes and talks to his disciples about the meaning of parables in general and his purpose for parables in general. And then he comes back and gives the interpretation of the parable. Well, we're going to take it uh, today. Let's take it by looking at the parable, and then we'll look at the interpretation of the parable, and then we'll come back and look at that little insider conversation that Jesus has about the meanings of the parable. Um, but, but first of all, the, the parable itself. Let's read that in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath 
and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Okay, so Ross, let's talk a little bit about, anytime we read scripture, it's, it's good to understand how the original hearers would have heard it. So let's start there. Uh, because I, because then I think the next thing is to understand how we hear it today. What are those principles that we can apply today? How can this relate to us today? So walk us through just real quick, Ross. How you know uh, an early disciple, you know, someone two thousand years ago in ancient Palestine would have heard this. What's the context for this parable? Yeah, that's really helpful because it's certainly, like I said before, it's an agrarian economy and agriculture was a big thing. And so a lot of people were involved in farming, but it's different then than it is today in terms of how that happened. So in ancient Palestine, uh, seed was sown, it was broadcast out. Like today, you have one of those little broadcast spreaders maybe you fertilize your lawn with and it sends the seed, you've turned the crank and it sends the seed flying everywhere. And so, and then the farmer would come back in and plow it in, plow it underneath uh, the surface. But if he failed to come plow it in right away, then, then you see a result like Jesus is describing here. So this seed is just being, is being spread everywhere, just thrown out there by the farmer. And then, you know, so where it lands, it's going to land all over the place. It's not going to be limited to just landing in the best part of the soil, but it's going to land everywhere. And so Jesus talks about four different areas where the, the seed lands, and his, his uh, audience would have totally understand it because they've seen it many, many times, seen it every year at planting time. They see farmers doing this. Maybe they did it themselves. And so they would have understand, oh, this seed is going everywhere, and, um, and what happens when it lands in different soils, people would have said, oh, yeah, well, sure, that totally makes sense. Yeah, so let's, let's I, we'll put this in the show notes for today, Ross. I love the little chart that you, you laid out for us. So we have these four soils. Let, let's give them names. We've got the footpath, mm-hmm. then we have the shallow soil, then we have the thorny soil, and then finally we have the fertile soil or the good soil. So what we've got here in our in our little chart is we've got three columns, and the the three things that Jesus is identifying here, and we'll give his interpretation in a second, but let's give kind of an overview of it. Is is the question is did it sprout? Did it grow? And did it produce a crop? So three things. Did it sprout? Did it grow? Did it produce a crop? So number one, the footpath didn't sprout, it didn't grow, and it didn't produce a crop. So it's nose across the board. The next soil, the shallow soil, it did sprout. So we've got a yes under sprouted, but it didn't grow, and it didn't produce a crop. So we got a yes, no, no. The third soil, the thorny soil, it sprouted. It grew, so we have a yes and a yes, but it didn't produce a crop. And then so we have a yes, yes, and no. And then finally, the good soil, the fertile soil, sprouted, grew, and produced a crop. So we have yes, yes, yes. So if you're listening it at home, again, you can check this out in our show notes, but that's the visual is, is we've got this clearly, I mean, I lo- I'm a math guy, Ross, so I really, I jumped all over this when I saw your chart. I thought this is really helpful to see. And again, what we're, 
what were the the main punchline whenever you hear a parable you're saying what is his main point let's come back to this that the main point of the parable of the soils is that the same seed right because it's one farmer produce mm-hmm. you know sowing the same seed the same seed produces different results in different kinds of soils i'll say it again the the parable of the soils is all about the same seed the same gospel producing different results in different people. That's the interpretive key to this whole thing. So, Ross, before we look at the soils, let's talk a little bit about who the farmer is. What are we talking about here with the farmer? In the story, it's, of course, just an ordinary farmer. In in terms of interpreting the story, he specifically says that uh, the farmer went out to plant some seed. And then down in in the interpreter interpretation of he says the farmer plants seeds by taking god's word to others he doesn't make it any more specific than that so really the farmer the seed is is the word of god the farmers whoever is spreading the word of god you know it could be me you it could be anybody so most immediately it was jesus right Mm -hmm. jesus was the Mm -hmm. first one sowing the seed in this particular story but i think we can extend it to all of us not just pastors not just preachers but Anyone, and we're into this at Pursue God, anyone who's trying to make disciples. And so this is helpful for us to realize, Ross, because as people who are out there who have tried to disciple people before, I know sometimes it can be frustrating because you could be putting in a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and it and it doesn't always it doesn't always pay off the same way for every person, right? Right, totally. Again, the same seed, the same person. Uh, but a different result for sure. So different uh, results in different kinds of soil. And Jesus is going to ask, so the, in fact, at the, in, in verse 9, at the end of telling the parable, he says, like, anybody who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, kind of, he says, anybody who uh, wants to hear and understand this, um, you, you, should, you should really try to hear and understand this. Uh, listen and understand. So he's really challenging his hearers to take that core idea um, and to apply it to the kingdom of God, to apply it to spiritual reality. They knew from, from the story and from their own experience that when a farmer sows different, has the same seed, it has different results in different kinds of soil. So he's saying, look, people, let, why don't you grapple with that and connect the dots to what that might mean spiritually? What could it mean spiritually that the same seed produces different results in different kinds of soils? And... Um, you know, that's where, you know, as he begins to interpret what those soils mean, we can begin to see what he's talking about there. Okay, so let's read that interpretation. So this comes now at the end of this section, verses 13 to 20. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them, this is him talking to his closest disciples now. He says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Which again, this is, I think, why Mark includes this, is he He's using this parable. He could have included a hundred other parables. He wanted to make sure to include this one because this one is really such a foundational parable about parables, right? Because it's about how you receive a parable, how you receive the teaching. So he says, if you can't understand this one, then how are you going to understand all the other ones? So then he explains it. The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others, like you said, Ross. The seed that fell on the footpath, the first soil, represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. So it doesn't, it doesn't even sprout. 
it doesn't even germinate. It's just gone. So the, there's no receptivity to the gospel, number one. Number two, the seed on the rocky soil, Jesus said, represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away. Now listen to this. Because it's so important, Jesus doesn't always interpret parables like this for us, but he does on this one. He says they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. He goes on. The third soil, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Okay, so again, the soil two and soil three sound similar, but there's some differences. We'll get into that in a second. And then finally, he says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, not to state the obvious here, the, uh, as we listen to this, and again, I encourage you as a listener to consider where you would put yourself in this. The goal, I hope the goal for you is to be the, the good soil. I hope the goal for you is to be the fertile soil. This is what we're, anytime we're evaluating our faith, anytime we're evaluating you know, where we are in Christ, and I think it's val- very valuable to do this, we, we should obviously say, I want to be that last thing. I want to I get to the thing that Jesus says is the best thing. I want to have this fullness of life that Jesus wants me to have. So, Ross, let's make sure to talk about the picture of that one. But let's go back and let's start with that first soil. Now that we have Jesus' interpretation, Ross, walk us through the footpath. Yeah, so I think it's clear if our listeners haven't figured it out already that each soil represents a different response to the Word of God when a person hears it. So the Word is going out. That's the seed. And so each soil represents sort of a different heart attitude or a different heart condition or different response. Those are all ways of trying to get at, you know, what these soils represent. But you have the footpath. The soil um, along the footpath is hard packed. And so today that would be like concrete, right? And so um, if, you're, if you're sowing like seed in your lawn, then a lot of the, that seed, if you're scattering, it's going to fall on the concrete, fall in the gutter, uh, places where it's impossible to germinate because the, because the seed can't enter the soil. So that's a heart that's just hardened to God's truth. So because of the hardness of that person's heart, the truth can never really sink in, and therefore it can never germinate, and it never really grows. So he's saying there's some kind of people who are just absolutely zero receptivity to God's truth in their life. Okay, so that's, you know, I would imagine someone listening to this right now, if you're listening to a, the Pursue God podcast, probably there aren't going to be a lot of people whose hearts are that hard because you, you wouldn't have listened this long, you know? Right. So l- let's move on to the second soil, Ross, because I, I think that understanding the difference between the second soil and the third soil is, is I think, important for people. Jesus said the, the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. Okay, so they right away, and we've seen this so much in our churches, that they receive it with joy, they're excited about it, there's, there's immediate, it seems like there's immediate, an immediate response to the word, but then it says, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away, now there's two things here, they fall away as soon as they have problems, 
or are persecuted for believing God's word. So let's walk through that soil. Yeah, so, I mean, so Jesus, the original soil, the people, the original story they know, everybody knew there was soil that was only a couple inches deep and had like a rock layer. I mean, where I live, there's a clay layer that's not too far below the surface that makes it, you know, hard to plant things in, you know, very deeper than a few inches. But so he's saying that, you know, when a seed goes in the shallow soil, the sun scorches it. It doesn't have roots because the rocks are in the way. The sun scorches it. It's going to wither up. It's going to wilt away. And so he says that's like that's like a person who has this immediate profession of faith. And they're super enthusiastic about Jesus, maybe, and and about spiritual things. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last very long because that heat of the sun is like these two things that you mentioned. First, problems of life. I think these are the average, ordinary problems that everybody has in life. We all face adversity. Hardships happen. Tough things happen. Um, things get difficult in our life. Maybe someone is going through an illness or someone doesn't, that God doesn't do what they expect him to do, uh, but they can call into question God's care for us or God's love and concern for us. So that's one thing that when that happens for the person who makes a shallow initial profession of faith in Jesus and then tough things happen, they go, oh, wait, I thought it was supposed to be easy now. I thought it was going to, being a Christian was going to be like, oh, everything, all my problems are solved. And so they go, oh, you know, they, so they might check out. And the other thing that happens is that a lot of people, when they come to faith, they don't realize that, oh, I'm going to start talking about Jesus. I'm going to start going to church and all these different things. And then I'm going to get some backlash from my family, from my friends, you know, um, and from their values and their standards. And when that happens, then people with a shallow faith are going to go like, oh, it's not worth it. And, and they'll just fold and, um, you know, give up. Yeah, I think our churches today are filled with people who have shallow soil, people who mm-hmm. claim to be Christians and actually probably don't have genuine saving faith. And some of the reason is because so many churches today don't preach a gospel that's biblical. So many churches preach a gospel that says something like this, come come to God and you'll have wealth and health and prosperity, and that's actually not biblical. And then when people respond to that message, which isn't good seed, by the way, it's not the real message, and then it doesn't happen, then it becomes clear that their faith was false all along. Right. It looked it looked real. It looked authentic for a minute, you know, because boom, there was this sudden enthusiasm and interest. But, you know, pretty soon they're not interested any. Okay, let's talk about the third soil, Ross, the the thorny soil. Again, Jesus, when he's talking about the thorny soil, I think it's helpful for our hearers to understand the difference. I think our churches are filled with people in these two, number two and number three. Sadly, I think if we're being honest about our churches in America today, there's so many there's so many rocky soil and thorny soil Christians. So the thorny soil is a little bit different. It says the seed that fell on the thorny soil represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So it's a, it sounds similar to the, to the rocky soil, but it's, he's using a little bit different language like it's being crowded out. Right, and so you see a different result, a little bit of a different result, because in the shallow soil, he says specifically that that, that plant withers away, it wilts away, so there's, it dies. In this, in this soil, the plant doesn't die, um, but it doesn't 
become everything that it was designed to be. It doesn't bear fruit uh, or result in any kind of harvest. So it's a it's a person, you know, who there's this initial response of faith that the roots are there, but there's this competition in life. There's preoccupation. There's distraction in life. And so they never grow mature enough as a Christ follower to produce a harvest. And Jesus mentions three things there um, that crowd out or, or choke out the life and the fruitfulness of the seed. The first is, the, he says, the worries of this life. Those are just anxieties from ordinary life. Everybody's got them, you know, like, how's my job going to go? How are my kids doing? What do my neighbors think? What, you know, I've got to meet, pay the bills. I've got to, you know, fix debt repair. I've got to find a new whatever. And, and so, and sometimes though, it's anxieties, I think, from the times that we live in. And so every, every generation has its, those anxieties, those worries. For us, maybe it's political or maybe it's, maybe it's global with, with wars around in other places and, or economics. You know, we're saying, like, oh, the inflation is so high and things like that. And so those kind of worries, um, the person, if they're not trusting God with that stuff, then it becomes a, a real distraction and preoccupation and it draws our heart away from God and and, and we, we spend all of our emotional and mental energy focusing on that stuff instead of focusing on pursuing God. And so the person there never, um, never produces fruit. Yeah, the second thing to me, Ross, is the scariest one because he calls it the lure of wealth. And I think about the lure of wealth 2,000 years ago compared to the lure of wealth today— I shudder to think about what Jesus would say about this to Christians today. Because if if he's calling out, if he's identifying the lure of wealth in Palestine 2,000 years ago, I mean, it's not even close to the lure, this temptation to be drawn into money and let money become an idol for us. So this this one to me is just a real warning sign for Christians today to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. What what does he mean about the this lure of wealth? You know, on a global standard, you and I are pretty wealthy. On an American standard, we right. might be right in the middle. But, um, you know, I know people who have just tons of resources, but they don't see themselves as wealthy. You know, they're, they're probably in the top 5%, but they're not in the top 1%. So they don't see that. So this can be um, deceitful. He talks about the lure, like there is a sense of deceitfulness about money and things. And so what happens, mm. what so easily happens is that pursuing money, pursuing possessions, pursuing financial security, all those things become more important than pursuing God and pursuing the things related to God, because wealth and possessions can really give us this false sense of security that takes away our, it can buffer us against our real spiritual need. You know, Jesus talked about being poor in spirit, and when we're not poor in material goods, sometimes it's hard to become poor in spirit, um, because we have you know, everything we want, everything we desire, we have a lot of security. And so I look around and say, how, what a grip money and possessions can have on a Christian. And then the result of that is that that becomes our preoccupation, that becomes our distraction, and it chokes out, you know, the real mission and purpose that, that God put us on this world for. Yeah, let me just challenge listeners. One of the ways, because it's really, I think it's easy to fool ourselves we we say, no, I love God more than I love money. But it's hard to really know what the litmus test is. Jesus gives us a litmus test in one of the other Gospels. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So one of the things that he says, and Jesus is a truth teller, is he said, if you really want to know 
what you care about. And I really want Christians to hear this. If you really want to know what you care about, then look at your budget and look and see what see where the kingdom of where where you're giving to the kingdom of God ranks, you know, giving to your local church, giving to missionaries maybe that you support, whatever. Like when I when I categorize all of my giving, all of my budget, you know, mortgage, rent, car payment, you know, um, cable bill, whatever, I always like to challenge people and say, where does giving fall in that list? Like, are, are you is your giving is your giving less than your cable bill? Because I know for a lot of Christians, they would say, well, yeah, it's way less than my cable bill. Okay, so you're you watching Netflix is more important to you than the kingdom of God. Again, I'm not trying to be too harsh here, but it's easy to fool ourselves and and sort of tell ourselves, oh no, I I love God more than more than stuff. But but let the let the evidence show whether that's true or not. So that's one of the things I would encourage you to do. In fact, if you want to learn more about budgeting, we've got a great uh a, a great series on Pursue God called Getting Right with God and Money. Check that out if you feel like I might need to grow in this area because maybe this third soil, as you're listening to this today, you would say, I think that might be me. Because I do think our churches are filled with uh, people who represent this thorny soil. Now, Ross, before we move on, though, to the good soil, I just I need to ask this question. I know I, know I just said we're not supposed to press the details of parables, but when I read this, I when I look at the rocky soil versus the thorny soil, it seems to me like maybe the rocky soil isn't a true believer, but maybe the thorny soil is a true believer. It's just like a really immature believer. It's re- it's someone who hasn't really moved forward and and is not producing fruit in in their lives. What would you is am I wrong to read into that? What would you say to that? Well, it's a great question. It's a very interesting question for sure. Because, you know, we can't really know anybody's heart um, in their relationship with Jesus internally, but we can look at what fruit and what results that brings in their life. And so if a person who, you know, receives Jesus or receives faith and then walks away later on, we say, well, okay, that person's actions and their attitudes have proven kind of what really was true about them. This one's a little more murky because, you know, again, Jesus has this progression from sprout, grow, to harvest. And th- in this case, it grows. We see growth there. We just don't see a harvest. And so really, the, it's a great question. Can a real believer live their whole life without showing any kind of fruit, without actually having any harvest in their life? If they don't ever have any result and transformation or any impact or whatever, you have to wonder, well, was their faith really real? I can't judge that for anybody else. But And I think maybe I've known people who, you know, faith is real, but for a long time they lived without fruit because they were just pulled by these distractions until the Holy Spirit eventually says, oh, you know, I've got to deal with the, these things, these issues, and I'm going to grow into that fruitfulness. But can a real believer go through their whole life and, and never have an impact, never help anybody else ever pursue God? Or, that's a great question. I'm not sure how we can whether we can fully answer it from this parable or not, but it at least makes us reflect on our own lives to say, "Hey, I'm sitting here. I'm in church every Sunday, but most of my time and my money is spent on these other things. I'm not 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 engaged in the purpose and the mission that Jesus gave me. So, hey, what what's the problem in my life?" 
Yeah, I would encourage two things. First of all, again, if you're listening to this and you feel like a conviction from the Holy Spirit that maybe, maybe your priorities have been in the wrong place, that's part of the point of this parable for Jesus. He wants you to have that gut punch to evaluate your life and say, I don't know that I'm really living a life like Jesus expected me to. So that's really not our, it's not our job to convict you of that. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that, then make it right. That's what, that's the point of the message. That's the point of these parables. So that's for the listener who might say, I think I might be one of those other soils. But I want to also say to the, to the person out there who is trying to make disciples, you know, that's the goal of the Pursue God resources. We're trying to help people go full circle. We, we, we can overlay this circle on this parable that a, a true follower of Jesus does three things. Number one, they trust Jesus for salvation. That's the first arrow. Number two, they honor God in their lives, in their daily lives, right? That they really, they really make Jesus Lord of their life, not just, uh, not just their Savior, like so many Christians, quote-unquote Christians, do today. But number three, and this is what really, when I first read this parable right now, Ross, this is what really jumps out at me, is the, the, the end of the parable is like the, the good soil produces fruit. Like, let's not forget that Jesus is saying that if, if, like, the full life that he envisions for you as his follower, like, what he wants for you as a follower of Jesus is to produce fruit. And I don't believe that's just talking about like fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. I think that might be part of it. I think it's he's actually talking about making disciples. I think he's talking about becoming being the soil that now becomes the farmer. That you're going to now share start spreading the seed, but what I want to say to people who are doing that because I know so many of you out there are trying to make disciples, but it is hard in today's culture because like Jesus says, there are these lures, there's this temptation, there's these there are all these threats to what we're trying to do. And here's what I want to tell you if you are really trying to make disciples is don't give up on it. Don't give up on it because that's the point. That's kind of the point of this is you, you like we said it here a little bit ago, Ross, the, the big idea here is that the same seed produces different results in different kinds of soil. You can't make someone one of these soils. That's not your job. You can't change the kind of soil somebody is that that you're sowing the seed into that's not your job the the farmer is not is not creating soils the farmer is sowing the seed your job is to share the gospel is to walk with people and help them pursue god and ross i don't know what you've noticed in this but for me i've noticed some people are so receptive that it is surprisingly easy to disciple them because their hearts are so receptive there's a couple i'm discipling right now uh, that came that came out of another faith tradition altogether, and it's like the veil has dropped from their eyes, and they're already discipling someone else. I mean, they've been a Christian for maybe four or five months, and they're already discipling someone else, and they couldn't wait to help someone else. In fact, the the wife just said to me this week, she said, "I I don't feel qualified, but but she's like, I want to help these people because I was there four months ago. What a cool picture." What a cool picture of good soil. They're, they're producing fruit already in their life. They're making time for this. Like It's a priority in their lives. To me, that's the goal, but, but that happens maybe 10, I don't know, Ross, for you, but for me, maybe 10% of the time, I get someone like that that is really good soil. So many times I walk with someone and they flake out. They, they stop showing up. 
And so I, I think our message to those people, those Christians who are discipling and it doesn't always work out great, is keep doing it. You just do your job, let the Holy Spirit do his job, and then, of course, the soil, they have a responsibility as well. Yeah, that's really true. And I do. I like your point. It makes really sense that this is the way Jesus sets up the story is that this final soil, the fertile soil, the good soil, is really clearly the objective. It's really clearly the ideal because all these other soils are, in a, are a failure in some way or another in the story. And so from the agricultural perspective of the listener, what's the point of sowing the seed if it's not going to bring a harvest? And so this is clearly the, the epitome of what he wants in our lives. There's no question about that. This is the kind of soil that he wants us to, to encourage us to be, to reflect on our own response to his word, to see whether or not this is who we are or not. And so this is the person who's receptive to God's word, who accepts God's word by faith, they're hungry for the Word of God, they, that when the seed is planted, the soil is ready for it. And so they produce a multiplied harvest. And, you know, I agree with you that that harvest could be a lot of different things. The fruit could be a lot of different things. It could be character. It could be building our life on Jesus' teaching, living a life that honors God, as you mentioned, fruit of the Spirit. But ultimately, inherent in the idea here is that the seed you know, multiplies. The harvest gives uh, people thing, food to eat, but it also produces the seed for the next year. You know, so in, inherent in that seed is the capacity to multiply into many, many other seeds. And so you have to feel like that this has this element of our lives producing other people who are also following Jesus, who are also receptive to him. And so, you know, this is, again, what, what Jesus wants. Now, I have to say, this is a story that was really pivotal in me coming to faith in Jesus many years ago. I heard a, the pastor, the preacher, was sharing this story, and as he described this fruitful life, this abundant life that brings forth a harvest 30, 60, 100 times what was, what was sown, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, wow, that, look at the contrast between that and the life you're living now. It was futile, it was empty, it was going nowhere. And I said, you know, in my heart, deepest part of my heart, I just said, God, I need you to come in, and you got to do that in me. And that was a turning point for my life when this, this became, um, I became receptive to what he was saying that night, and that, you know, played out in the transformation of my life in a lot of, a lot of different ways. That's cool. That's awesome to hear. And there might be some people listening right now who would say the same thing, that maybe this podcast, maybe this parable has revealed some things to them. And I just would encourage you to follow up on that with someone in your life, with a mentor, a, a, a pastor, someone in your life who can kind of walk with you to uh, to sort of finish the work that God is doing, maybe even through through some of the scripture like we're reading today. And and Ross, I think that leads to our last little thing we need to cover here. And this is, we saved this for last because this is the hardest part of this whole passage. Because as you said at the beginning, Ross, right in the middle of this, Jesus says some things that would be classified under hard teachings, hard sayings of Jesus. Here's what he says, verses 9 to 12. He said, 
Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, Jesus said that quite a bit in the Gospels. And so I, I want to make sure that we talk about what he means by this, because it has everything to do with parables. Again, I'll read it. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then it says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around him, they asked him what the parables meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. In other words, you have ears to hear. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Then he quotes scripture from the Old Testament. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. And so, Ross, help us understand this, because again, this is the paradox of parables, right? That, that essentially Jesus is saying, some people have ears to hear, and some people don't. And so a parable, and the punchline of the parable, some people are going to get the punchline, and some people aren't going to get the punchline. And so a lot of listeners today might say, that's hard for me to accept. What is, what is Jesus actually saying there? And so help us with this as we finish up with today's parable. Right. I think, you know, we started with an analogy of um, a parable like a joke. It's got a punchline. But there's a sense here, which also a parable is like a riddle. There's an answer to the riddle, but you have to think it through. And if you're not interested in, like, finding the answer to the riddle, you blow it off or you, just, you don't even care, then you'll never find the answer to the riddle. The problem isn't necessarily the riddle, but it's the response that you have to it. And so th there's this secret. This uh, Biblically, the word is a mystery. He's not saying that, look, the insiders, outsiders, there's some people who I'm going to just only tell them the, dirt, the, the real stuff, and everybody else doesn't get the real stuff. But no, the parable goes out to everybody. Everybody hears the same words. But the insider and outsider is really determined by who, by the response. Again, the parable itself the one we just looked at illustrates this very point because it's all about what is a person's response. And so the person who's hard-hearted, who's disinterested, who doesn't really want to know the answer, who's maybe already got their mind made up what the answers are or got their mind made up what, to what truth is, they're not going to hear. They're, they're already predisposed to not hear. And so um, you know, when they see Jesus, they're not going to learn anything. They're not going to hear or understand what he says. And so they're not, going to, they're not going to turn and be forgiven. But that's on them. Because Jesus' point is, look, the whole deal is that the parable, it reveals the truth, but it conceals the truth. And what it really does is it exposes a person's heart, whether they have the heart to pursue the truth or whether they have a heart that wants to ignore and reject the truth. And so it kind of divides the audience between, between those, two, those two groups. Some are content to just uh, go with their existing understanding of things. Some really want to know, and they want to get what God has to say. And so that's really the secret of the parables, is it exposes the heart of the hearer. Yeah, I like how you say it in our show notes, Ross. You say that parables are designed not only to explain, but to divide, right? It's not just about explaining something. It's about drawing a line in the sand so we can see who is going to receive the message and who's not going to receive the message. And I think this is especially difficult for control freaks. <laughs> and I'm speaking from personal experience because for, you know, m most of my adult life, 
I've tried to help people become Christians. I've really tried to make disciples. And I think earlier in my life, Ross, I, I, I felt this weight, this burden that it's all up to me, that, that if I don't say it just right, if I don't explain it just right, that, that they're not going to get it. And conversely, if I do explain it right, then they'll get it. They, they can't help but get it. They can't help but respond to it. But in my life, I've seen that it's more, it's more complex than that it's because it's not really about me. It's not mm-hmm. about now I think it's important that I and for all of us listening I think it's important that we understand how to articulate the gospel well and if you want to a great tool for that check out our pursuit series at pursuegod.org so I think it is important for us to be equipped well to explain the gospel well make sure we're not like teaching some false gospel like a prosperity gospel like I mentioned earlier but really at the end of the day the gospel is pretty basic and so it's more about just that line in the sand that when we put out the gospel, when we put out the word, Ross, now I'm just more attentive. I try to pay more attention. I think this is what Jesus did as well to the people who were receptive to it versus the people who weren't. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't try to chase people down so much. Mm-hmm. I don't try to convince people so much. I don't try to change minds. I just spread the seed, right? Like the farmer, he just spread the spread the seed, and then let the rest of it take care of itself. I think that's a great reminder for us who are trying to help people come to faith, maybe even people in our own families, Mm -hmm. that we can only do our part and that really God has to do his part, and then they they have a part to play as well. Yeah, if you think about it, Jesus, who could do it better than him? Right, and so partly I think this parable helps explain to his his own disciples, like, in spite of his miracles, in spite of his compassion, in spite of his teaching with authority, in spite of everything that he did and who he was, still people rejected him, and still people did not respond. And so the the parable really explains what we see in Jesus' ministry. And uh, you're right, he didn't spend a lot of time trying to chase down or or convince the religious leaders and the Pharisees. Um, you know, his confrontations with them were hopefully, I think, for to illustrate to other people maybe what where the truth was. And so, I mean, if Jesus was perfect and he didn't get everybody bowing, you know, before him, then I think that's really helpful to us to understand that it that, you know, it's just not all on us. There is this issue about what kind of people around us are hearing the message that we have to share. So anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you have ears to hear, you want to talk about this more, maybe with your family or your small group or with a mentor, you can find the short video to go along with this, along with discussion questions, talking points, show notes for everything we talked about today. You can find it all at pursuegod.org forward slash Mark. This is the first part in chapter four. Again, use those uh, with your family, your small group or your mentor. And then join us next week because we're going to keep trudging through this incredible book. And next week, we're going to talk about three parables in one. And it's kind of like part two for what we talked about today. So make sure to join us next time. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.